We're going in very deep today. We're going to take uh, a mystery of the scriptures and unpack it and unveil it. It's very sacred. And I want us to just be, uh, you know, to be in a place with God, to have our spiritual antennas raised so that we can receive what God is broadcasting from Zion. I am convinced that if we receive the word of the Lord today, it is going to add dimensions of grace and glory to us in unprecedented ways. It's going to feed us for many days, even years to come. It's going to be a very special time in the word today. So would you join me and let's pray right now before we read our scripture and break this bread. Father, in the glorious and victorious name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, we're so grateful for another opportunity to connect, to share, to learn, and to grow. We thank you for the Church in the House experience and for the word of the Lord that is streaming now into many nations on several platforms. We are praying, Lord God, that your spirit your unction, your anointing, your grace, your glory would be present in every house where the word of the Lord is being streamed. We pray that miracle signs and wonders will accompany the word and confirm the word to our hearts. We pray that your people be edified, empowered, uh, lifted up, exalted, to begin to live life on a new level, from a new paradigm, with new perspectives. God be glorified, magnified in the word today. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And all the people said... Amen and amen. Well, today I'm delivering the final installment in our series entitled The Resurrection of Hope, in which we have been looking at the three days that changed the world. We've been looking at the events of the Holy Week. We've been looking at the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And we are drawing from it strength and courage and nourishment as we understand what Jesus did for us on that old rugged cross, how he took our place, how he took our sins, how he took our curse, how he took our problem, our predicament, nailed it to the cross, took it out of the way and gave to us his righteousness, gave to us his his legal status gave to us uh, eternal life. And this has been, uh, you know, so meaty. And, you know, I've, I've been blessed to hear your testimonies and we receive testimonies. And many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ as we've been delivering this series. But, you know, as I was studying for this series, I begin to uh, uh, come across a phrase that that just kept reoccurring as I was studying uh, for this particular series. The phrase just kept on reoccurring. And it's not that I'd never seen it before, but it was just reoccurring. It was standing out to me. And I took that as a sign that this is something I need to look into, something I need to explore, something I need to approach as a newborn babe. You know, instead of just assuming that through all of my years of uh, theological study and research, I know what that means. Just no, I don't know what that means. Let's look at this again. And so, um, you know, as a result of looking into this particular phrase that just just comes up over and over again, um, we are going to deliver this final installment. I'm going to read the phrase, then I'm going to announce to you what my subject is today. And um, I... Let's, uh, let's, it comes up so many times. Let's just read it from the book of Revelation, chapter number 13 and verse 8. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, that's referring to the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. 
from the foundation of the world. And that's the phrase that kept coming up over and over again as I was looking into this particular series, from the foundation of the world. Let me read it to you again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It reads, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Wow, Christ was ordained before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times for us. Let me read one more passage, and um, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. <laughs> wow. So not only is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and before the foundation of the world, um, God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Um, I said it was going to be one more, but I'm going I'm, I'm to read another one. There's so many. I want to read from the prayer of Jesus, John 17, verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. And so I'm going to speak into our collective consciousness and into our prophetic destiny from the subject, the foundation of the world. The foundation of the world. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 The foundation of the world. And of course, you know, as, as you hear that phrase, I guess it is, uh, it, it conjures up, uh, I guess, some ideas and some images. You know, foundations are the starting point. They are the essential building block. They are the baseline, the ground zero, the starting point. And so the foundation of the world um, is, is a phrase that refers to the starting point of all creation, the starting point of all creation, the first thing, the very first born, the, the very first thing, the starting point for the creation of God. And what we notice from our readings is that the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of the Son of God uh, at Calvary, uh, sometimes called Golgotha, um, that place where Jesus died and said it is finished, that the sacrifice of Jesus was in fact the starting point for all creation. Wow. The sacrifice of Jesus was the starting point for all creation. The cross at Calvary was the starting point. That is before God said, let there be light, before God you know, created the world as we know it before he populated the world as we know it. Um, he started, he started with the sacrifice of Jesus. He started with the cross and everything before the cross pointed to it, alluded to it, foreshadowed it, prefigured it. All sacred roads lead to the cross. And that's, I guess, what we see in the Old Testament. As we're reading the Old Testament, uh, we are seeing the sufferings of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus. 
We are seeing this alluded to in the patriarchal sacrifices, the Levitical sacrifices. We're seeing it foreshadowed. We're seeing it prefigured. Um, we're seeing it indicated. We're seeing it implied. We're not seeing it anywhere explicitly stated because that was the secret and that had to be kept secret. And we've kind of dealt with that in some previous sessions. That was the secret, which if the princes of this world would have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If, you know, you know, in, in, in the art of war, it's very important that your enemy doesn't know your next move. Certainly in the game of chess, uh, you keep your next move a secret and God kept that move uh, a secret. Although it is embedded in the prophetic writings, it's hidden in the prophetic writings. It's indicated, it's alluded to, but it's nowhere expressly stated that the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, is going to suffer and die on an old rugged cross. This was God's secret. And, um, and yet all the roads are leading to it. All of the characters of the Old Testament are pointing to it. All of the customs, all of the cities, the ceremonies, the, the, the minerals, the, the, the metals, the, the furniture. I mean, like everything in the Old Testament has symbolic meanings, the colors, the numbers. And when you put them all together, they are pointing to this very thing that, that God will redeem us through the sacrifice of his son. God will justify us through the sacrifice of his son. God will shield us and cover us from wrath, from judgment, from danger by the blood of the lamb. Not just the blood of a lamb as, as Israel you know, were saved from death in Egypt by the blood of a lamb applied to the doorposts and the lintels of their house. This was foreshadowing, prefiguring, pointing to the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The true Lamb of God, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood saves us from wrath. And I guess, you know, back then at the original Passover, they, they just could not have understood how that the very act of obeying Moses, the very act of sacrificing a lamb and taking the blood and applying it to the doorposts, which are the two sides of the door, and to the lintel, which is the upper uh, beam of the door. So, uh, you know, the very act of obeying Moses was foreshadowing the cross because you had blood at the foot of the door, which was in the basin. You have blood at the top of the door. You have blood at the two sides. That is the sign of the cross. Even the very camp of Israel um, that had the tabernacle of God in the center. You know, as they moved through the wilderness, God lived in a in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a tent, you know, called the tabernacle. His, his house was mobile. And the children of Israel encamped around the house of God, putting God at the center of the, of the house of Israel, the camp of Israel. But even the way they were positioned were in the shape of a cross. Even when you look at the furniture in the tabernacle of Moses, if you begin to draw a line connecting the furniture, you're going to see the shadow of the cross. Everything in the old Bible, everything before the cross is pointing to it foreshadowing it, prefiguring it, alluding to it. All the sacred roads are leading to it. And there's a reason why. The reason is that the cross 
of Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus was the starting point of all creation. Before God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, he had already made a provision for his redemption. So I want to explain that now. I want to, woo, I want to unpack that now, but I'm feeling so much glory and grace right now because this is such, a, such an important truth, such an important uh, understanding. How is it possible that God starts everything with the cross? And why should he start everything with the cross? Well, the reason that God started the creation with the cross is that the cross was his provision, his provision for the inevitable, the inevitable. And the inevitable is sin. Sin was inevitable and utterly unavoidable, and I'm going to explain why. And because God knew that sin was inevitable and unavoidable, he started with a provision for it. Here is the wisdom of God. God does not wait for a problem to uh, occur before he designs a solution. God is, you know, God is the omni. He's omniscient. It means he knows everything. So he, in his foreknowledge, he can see the problem before the problem is hatched, before the problem appears, and he creates solutions. We kind of see this in the Bible. You know, we know that Joseph was in preparation for his position in the palace before there ever was a famine. You know, before there ever was a crisis, Joseph was in preparation. You know, Esther was became the, the, the queen of the kingdom of Persia um, before Haman hatched his plot to commit genocide against all of the Jewish people, which, if successful, would have invalidated the promises God made to Abraham and would have cut off the very bloodline of the Messiah. But before that plot was hatched, God was already putting Esther uh, into position. And this is God's style. He will create the solution before the problem uh, arises. He will make a provision for the inevitable. And so somebody said, well, Bishop, why, why is sin inevitable? Why was sin inevitable? Why was sin going to happen? You know, surely God is almighty. Surely God can do anything. Surely God could have made a world without sin. And I want us to think about this very, very carefully today because my answer is no, 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 no. No, he could not have created a world without sin and it be a world that, that he could inhabit. Um, it be a world that fulfilled his desire. And I want to explain why. You see, the only choice that God had or, or would have had in creation, is to either create a world without people, without human beings in it, in, in which case the very objective of God, because God is relational, his objective is to have a relationship with us, with his kind. That's his objective. It's the relationship with mankind. So, uh, so if he creates a world without people in it, then that defeats the object. Second option would be to create a world in which people are predetermined to do good and to do right and to never do wrong. In which case they would be a race of robots or like some of these wind up uh, 
you know, dolls that you can just wind it up from the back and when you let go it starts moving and does exactly what you have pre-programmed it to do. And if you pre-program human beings to do exactly what you want them to do and make it impossible for them to do anything else, then you no longer have a free moral agent. What you have is a race of robots and you can't have a loving relationship with a race of robots. So the third option is to create the world and populate it with free moral agents. Woo! Hallelujah. Free moral agents whose will is sovereign. Now, now this is the world that God made. God knew he was going to populate the world with free moral agents who have the power to choose right or wrong, the power to choose to love him or to not love him, the power to choose to obey him or not to obey him. He, was, he would create a world with free moral agents whose personal will is sovereign. He, he would not even violate uh, their decision. He would have to allow them to do what they want to do if he's going to give free moral agency to this, to his creation. And only, only beings who have, who are free moral agents and who have sovereign wills are capable of actually fulfilling the aspiration of God and entering into a loving relationship with God. Now, if that seems a little difficult for, for anyone, then think about, think about the relation, kind of relationship you want with your children, with your spouse. Do you want your children or your spouse to, to be robots who have no choice but to do exactly what you want them to do? I'm sure there's some parents saying, yes, Bishop, yes, but you don't really mean that, right? Um, what makes it a loving relationship is the fact that you're all choosing uh, to live together in love. You are choosing to, to, to please each other, to bless each other, to serve each other, to enjoy each other's company. It's because of the free moral agency that makes the relationship so deep and so meaningful. And if you take away the power to choose, if you take away the option, if there is nothing to contrast the behavior with, then we do not have a loving relationship or a fulfilling relationship. And God wanted a fulfilling, meaningful relationship with us. And the only how that could happen is if he endows us with free moral agency, the power to choose and gives us a sovereign will. Now, when you give, uh, you know, an independent legal entity, uh, free moral agency and a sovereign will, then you have to make a provision for the inevitable. What is inevitable is that they will use that will against you. They will use that will against themselves. They will use that will against others. That is an inevitability because it's already such a possibility. You have to make a provision for it. Again, I don't want to be too deep, but think about it, parents. You know when you have a child that this child could be the next the next great contributor to society. And, but there is also the possibility that this child could bring great embarrassment and shame to, to, to your family. 
And so you make a provision for that in the way that you plan to raise the child, to train the child, in what you expose that child to and how you deliver your values to the child and how you, uh, you know, how you order their steps, how you train them up in the way that they should go. What are you doing? You're making a provision for the possibility that they could go another way. God, therefore, in creating us, started with a provision, a provision for the inevitability of sin. That is why the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. This is why he was slain before the foundation of the world. This is why God had uh, created, designed the the plan of salvation before he brought people into the equation. This is why Calvary, the cross, was never plan B. This was always plan A because God knew that sin was the inevitable and unavoidable consequence of giving us free moral agency. Therefore, he created a provision for it. Somebody said, well, Bishop, if he created that provision, why didn't he just bring it right in in the Garden of Eden as soon as man fell? Just bring it straight in. Well, well, again, you see, this is again us kind of asking God to create a race of robots. That's not, that's not, you know, God is very wise in how he does this. So, so he appointed a time, a time in which the Christ would actually physically pay that price. Now, in his foreknowledge, the price has been paid. In his master plan, in his uh, uh, predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, the price has already been paid. But he has appointed a time in which this price is going to be physically paid. And it was very, very important that before that time, before the cross, that that we um, eliminate certain other possibilities. Now, now I want to I want to dive into this. Woo! I, I need you to stay with me today. I know we're going a little deep. Don't worry, we're going to emerge, and we're going to emerge with great joy and with great victory. But I want you to notice that between Adam, the first Adam, and the last Adam, there are several dispensations in the Bible. And a dispensation is a period of time in which God deals with man in a very particular way or according to a specific revelation. Okay? God deals with us according to a revelation. If we're going to walk in the light, we can only walk in the light that we have. And so what we see is that between the first Adam and the last Adam, uh, human beings were responsible for walking in the light that was available. And, and there are these dispensations that you can identify as you study through this that show the progression of light. And so in the Garden of Eden, uh, you know, this was the dispensation of innocence. This was, this was a time of great innocence. There was no law of Moses. There were no Ten Commandments. There were no sacrifices and ceremonies. There was no priesthood and high priest and all of that. None of that existed in the Garden of Eden. There was only one rule in the Garden of Eden. It was not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I also want you to notice that not only was there only one rule in the Garden of Eden, but that there was no poverty in the Garden of Eden. There was no curse in the Garden of Eden. There was no lack. There was no need in the Garden of Eden. Everything that man could ever want, need, desire was available, freely available in the Garden of Eden. And yet, yet, even surrounded by luxury, surrounded by provisions, in the absence of poverty, sickness, death, and all of these things, yet 
man still used his sovereign will against God. And that need, that's telling us something about sin and about the causes of sin. Because some people think that, you know what, you know, I'd, I'd be doing right if I had the right environment. If everything was working out right for me, I'd be doing Let me tell you something. Even if everything is working out just right for you, you still have this propensity to do the wrong. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve demonstrate that sin isn't really a reflection of the environment that you are in. It is really a reflection of, of, of something you have begun to believe. It, the source of sin was believing the lie. And the, the lie that the serpent told, this, this activated something within Adam and Eve. Uh, now, now, I said all that to say this, that, that don't blame your environment for the decisions that you are making. You cannot blame your environment for the decisions that you are making on a daily basis because those decisions are coming out of factors that are within you. You know, when they were expelled from the garden, uh, you know, human beings had to live by the law of their conscience. Okay, we call it the dispensation of conscience. And even with a conscience that was sharpened to know the difference between good and evil, Cain still slew Abel. And so, so even, you know, your, your conscience is no guarantee that you will not sin. It, conscience cannot save you from sin. A great environment cannot save you from sin. You know, after that dispensation of of, of conscience, there are, there are some other dispensations that follow. There's a dispensation of promise in which the patriarchs lived by faith in a promise that God made. There were still huge failings in that period of time. We know that Noah, for example, was, the, was a, a form of human government over the world. And even with righteous government in place, um, the world still goes the wrong way. Woo. And finally, we get to the law, the law of Moses. Oh my gosh, the 613 commandments of the law of Moses. Think about this with me. Each of these laws come with threats and promises. Threats and promises. If you, if you don't do this, uh, you're going to be cursed. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed in your body, cursed in your house. It's just threats. And then there are promises. Well, if you do this, you're going to be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. You're going to be blessed in, in your body, blessed in your house, long life, wealth, happiness. And yet, with all of these threats and promises, man is still unable to save himself from sin. It is very, very important in the plan of salvation that you realize that you cannot save yourself from sin. Oh, help me now. You cannot save yourself from sin. You are not sinning as a consequence of your environment. Uh, having a razor sharp conscience will not prevent you from sinning. Having righteous government over the nation will not prevent you from sinning. And having threats and promises in your life is never going to be enough to prevent you from using your free moral agency and sovereign will against God. Woo! And this had to be proven because when the, when the Messiah comes, 
He's only going to make sense to people who know that they cannot save themselves from sin. He's only going to be received by people who know that they have no hope of salvation outside of him. He is only going to be embraced by people who failed under the law, failed under the conscience, failed under human government. They failed in all of the other man-made systems and mechanisms. The, 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 the apron of fig leaves has failed to cover the shame of their transgression and of their sin. And, and, and all of this needed to be proven in stages over time so that when the fullness of time had come and the Messiah appears, there would be a people who already know that outside of him, there is no salvation. Outside of him, we cannot be saved. Outside of him, we cannot save ourselves from sin or its consequences. And I need to talk about the consequences for just a minute. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death and the soul that sins shall die. And I know that when we read these passages, we, we tend to think, uh, Oh, God is so strict. God is so harsh. God is so... No, 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 no. God is holy. Listen to me. God is holy. And because of his holiness, sin dies in his presence. Sin dies in his presence. If his presence is in the room, sin dies. You know, some of the high priests of Israel found that out when they went into the Holy of Holies uh, once a year, uh, you know, on the Day of Atonement. You know, when the high priest went in, they tied a rope around his foot just in case he died in the presence of God, they would be able to pull him out because in the presence of God, sin dies. God and sin cannot coexist. So when, when God was designing the plan of salvation, he had to. He had to factor in this simple truth that the only how human beings can be holy is if the Holy One lives inside of them. The only hope we have of righteousness is for the righteous one to live in us. The only way that we can be holy is in the presence of God. But you can't put the presence of God inside sinful man without it killing the man. So God has to make a provision. He had to make it possible for his holy presence to come inside an unholy person, not kill them, but give them life. I wish somebody could hear what I'm preaching today. This is a dilemma that pre-exists the fall of man. This is God in his contemplation saying, I'm going to create free moral agency. They are going to sin outside of my presence within them. They are going to sin. But my presence within them mustn't kill them. It must give them life. Therefore, I must now create uh, a solution to this particular dilemma. And the solution, my friends, the solution is that old rugged cross. Now, I keep referring to it as that old rugged cross because that's the words of a great hymn. But it really is the blood that Jesus shed for us. Because when Jesus died for us, 
he was actually dying as us because all of our sins were, were, were imputed to him. There was an exchange that took place. All of our sins were placed upon him. The Lord laid upon him, Isaiah said, the iniquity of us all. So all of the iniquity, all of the abomination, all of the sin and sinfulness of mankind was placed upon Jesus who was totally innocent. He was spotless. The Bible says God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God, who is the supreme court of the universe, uh, his justice would be satisfied by a substitutionary sacrifice. And so uh, Christ offered himself as that sacrifice. He knew exactly what he was in the world to do. He knew exactly why he was here. He knew he was going to the cross. He told Peter and the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'll be betrayed by the elders. I will be, uh, you know, I will be arrested. I will be crucified on the third day. I'm going to rise again. He was very clear about his purpose, his mission, and his assignment that what he was going to do was offer himself as the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. He would offer himself as as full and final payment for the sin debt of those who believe and and because his blood was accepted his blood the offering was accepted as 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 a full and final settlement for the debt we had all uh, uh, incurred because his blood was accepted God can now deal with sinful people as if they have no sin. God can now treat you as if you have no sin. He can live in you as if you have no sin. He can use you as if you have no sin. And that is the meaning of the word justification. Just as if I had not sinned. It's seven words. If you want to understand what justification is, it's just as if I had not sinned. That's what it is. And that's the gift. That is the gift of God through Christ, through the cross. Now, of course, it's available to those who believe it. So those who believe that Christ died for me, he paid my sin debt, he satisfied the justice uh, and the judgment that is inevitable upon sin. He did that for me. He became sin for me. He became a curse for me. And therefore, uh, God can now deal with me as though I have no sin. God can bless me because the curse has been taken away. Those that believe it have eternal life. Those that do not believe it, according to the Bible, Jesus said they are condemned already. Uh, Jesus, you know, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He that believes on him is not condemned but he that does not believe is condemned already. I'm screaming at someone right now. It is time for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're putting your faith in a, a plan that, that is older than the world itself.
that over a span of, of some 4,000 years was meticulously executed by God through the patriarchs, the prophets, the kings and judges of Israel and Judah, the episodes and scenarios of the Old Testament, the plan was being meticulously executed and, and, and along the way, all the proof you could ever need that you cannot save yourself. You cannot avoid death. You cannot avoid the second death. You can't do it. Only one can do it for you. And this is the one that we call Jesus Christ. In Hebrew, he is Yeshua Hamashiach. In the Greek language, he is Jesus Christos. And in other languages, it may sound different, but it is the same one. The, the son of the living God, the spotless, the sinless son of the living God. That, my friends, is the only hope of salvation. Now, I, I'm, 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 I need to say a little bit more. It, it, glory. Is it all right if I say a little bit more? And by the way, don't wait for me to finish this sermon before you say yes to Christ and get saved today. Because see, what God is offering you is unparalleled. This is not the end of your sales. This is not, this is not some kind of Black Friday sales. This is not some 70% off. This is something that you could never afford in a billion trillion years of good deeds. This is a, an offer that you cannot walk away from. And so don't wait. Call the number that is on your screen and let the, our receptionist know that you're giving your life to Christ and you're looking for a church family that's going to help you walk by faith and not by sight. I want to tell you something about that cross, that blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus worked both forwards and backwards in time. Woo! Both forwards and backwards in time. So when Jesus shed his holy blood for us, we weren't even born. This is 2,000 years ago. We weren't born. We didn't exist. We weren't around. And yet the blood worked forward. It worked forward. It covers everyone, everyone from that day forward that comes to faith, everyone that puts their trust in him, everyone that abandons hope in self and, and hope in religion and puts their hope in the Lamb of God. Everyone, the blood covers them. The blood washes them. The blood, the blood justifies them and the blood repositions them and gives them a new legal status and declares them righteous before God so that the holiness of God can move into your life and begin to work out of your life your life actually changes because you invite the holy one to live on the inside and change begins to happen not by the works of the flesh not by the threats and the promises of a law but by the the engraving of the Holy Spirit on your heart on the fleshy tables of your heart your life begins to change because this is the the wisdom of God from all it from from before the foundation of the world. Now, the blood works forward. But guess what? The blood also worked backwards. Woo. In other words, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all saved by the blood of Jesus too. They were all waiting for the redemption that they had prophesied. They were waiting for one. Job was waiting for one. He said, if it, you know, the, if, this, if the worms destroy my body, I believe that in my flesh I will see God. 
He had a belief that God would not leave him in the grave, that God would find him and rescue him and save him. They believed in a resurrection. They believed that death would not be the finality. They didn't even call it death. They said, we slept with our fathers. He slept with his fathers, awaiting for a day when Messiah would wake them up. And somebody said, well, 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 you know, how, how do you know, Bishop, that the blood was working backwards in time? You know, as, as you read into it, Matthew specifically says that when Jesus was crucified, thunder, the thunder started to, 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 to actually uh, roll in the middle of the day. And the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. It's as if God, it's as if God himself said, finally, these people that I love, these people that I want to live with and in, in spite of themselves, finally, we can do this. And he ripped the veil in the temple. But Matthew goes on to say that there were other uh, graves. There were graves in, in and around Jerusalem of, of, of old prophets and, and, and sacred people in their history. Their, their graves cracked open and people came back to life with the resurrection of Jesus and were seen in the holy city. Why? Because you see, even the Old Testament saints who died in faith, not having received the promise, were waiting for that one whose blood would save us all. You see, you don't have a choice outside of Christ. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, I celebrate anyone's attempt to connect with God, anyone's attempt to reach out to God from whatever religious persuasion that you're trying to reach God. But I want you to know that that's what religion is. It's man trying to reach God, please God, appease God, find God. It's man. It's, it emanates from man. Righteousness and salvation in the gospel Starts in God, with God, and is all about him. Because this isn't me trying to find God. This is God finding me. This isn't me reaching out to God. It's God reaching out to me. This is not me pleasing and appeasing God's wrath. This is God satisfying in himself. Every condition, every requirement, every debt, paying that penalty in himself to make himself available to me. That differentiates this Christ thing from everything else. Everyone else has a teacher, a guide, a philosopher, a prophet who says, I'll show you the way. We have Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I want you to bow your head and pray with me right now because we're just going to receive the love of God and come into a relationship with God that doesn't have condemnation, doesn't have guilt and shame, doesn't have it. That's religion. We tried that under the law. It doesn't work. When you really meet God in Christ, you meet your father who just loves you. He's not, he's not excusing your bad ways. That's not what he's doing. He's getting inside of you 
into your psyche, into your heart, and showing you a better way, guiding you gently, leading you. Let's pray. Father, in the name above every name, that sovereign saving name of Jesus Christ, I pray for every person under the hearing of this word that by revelation knowledge we will know that Christ and Christ alone is God's answer to our greatest problem, predicament, debt, and dilemma. That Christ and Christ alone saves us from our sins. Lord, I pray that hearts will open now. I pray that someone will find Jesus. I pray that someone who'd been walking away because their relationship was based on philosophy and reasoning and intellect. I pray, Lord, that, that they'll come back to actually meet you, Father, in Christ. Lord, let today be a day of salvation. Let today be a day of regeneration. Let today be the day of a new birth. Because you chose us. You chose us, Lord, in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, you chose that everyone who would believe in him would be holy and without blame before you in love. And this we have prayed in Jesus Christ's name. And all the saints that love Jesus said amen and amen and amen. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.